to stand as we read our scripture reading from the Apostle John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, beginning with the 19th verse, reading in Jesus' name. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, hear these words, peace be with you. It's Jesus' desire that you too would hear him say, peace be with you. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. A second time Jesus says, peace be with you. Why? Well, Jesus is going to share with them the nature of their mission. And they certainly will need the peace of Christ because as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Then, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I see, I will never believe believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said a third time, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Jesus, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for giving us the eyes of faith to believe in you, to believe in you as our resurrected Savior. And I ask that as we look into your word today, that you would replace our doubt with your peace. And Lord, remind us that doubt is normal. But also remind us that you have shown yourself as the resurrected Savior. You've shown yourself to the disciples, you've shown yourself to us, and you've given us the eyes of faith to believe. Lord, I also pray for those who come with unbelief. I ask that you would reveal yourself to them as their crucified and risen Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Today I want to talk about doubt. It's appropriate to talk about doubt as we're 
uh, talking about Thomas. And yes, he was given a nickname, Doubting Thomas. I don't think it's fair because he came to believe and he came to do great things for the gospel of Jesus Christ after the day of Pentecost. So, are you the type of person who says, I won't believe, I won't believe it until I see it? Are you like uh, somebody from Missouri, uh, the show me state, you will not believe until you see it. Many people believe, believe in something that exists here, or possibly exists here, I don't think there's any evidence of it, but many people believe in an elusive, large, ape-like creature that lurks in the woods near us. They say, and they're convinced with their whole heart, that Bigfoot is real. Sasquatch exists. And people will give accounts of sightings and proofs, footprints, fuzzy images or film uh, that shows this big, ape-like, elusive creature. I guess if I saw a Bigfoot, I would believe. I would truly believe. But until I see for myself, I will not believe. I will not believe. Some of you who are convinced of the reality of the existence of, of Bigfoot may point at me and, and you might call me what? Doubting Thomas. You're a doubting Thomas because you don't believe in the existence of Sasquatch. And I would say you're right. You're right. I am a doubting Thomas. Like Thomas, I won't believe it. I won't believe it until I see it. We value skepticism. We value skepticism. And, and here's the truth. You, shouldn't, you should not believe everything you're told. You should not believe everything you're told. Everything that, that comes out of the mouth of people, you shouldn't believe it. You should be skeptical. So when I read about Thomas in John chapter 20, I don't blame Thomas for his doubt. I can't blame Thomas for his doubt. I'm just like Thomas. You've got to show me. I have to see it to believe it. So I have two points. The first point is this, doubt is normal. As a Christian, to doubt is normal. And the second point is, is that you actually cannot be at peace in doubt. So we have this tension. Doubt is normal. It's normal for us as Christians to doubt. But yet at the same time, we cannot live at peace, especially peace with God and peace with ourselves with doubt. So first of all, doubt is normal. Especially doubt about people coming back to life after being in the grave for three days. Doubt is normal. So if you doubt God, if you doubt the resurrection, if you doubt the Bible accounts, that's actually normal. And I cannot identify with those who have never had any doubts about the claims of Christianity. So I believe that we need to make sure that the church is a safe place, a safe place for doubters. The church needs to be a safe place for those who struggle with doubt or struggle with, with anything in their lives. If the church is not a safe place for people who doubt, 
then they, they may never be given the eyes of faith by the Holy Spirit to see with faith and to believe and to be convinced that Jesus is indeed the resurrected Christ. And he is risen. And his word is true. We believe because we've been given the eyes of faith to trust and to know that he is alive indeed. But doubt is normal. So if you never doubt, if you never doubt, I really cannot identify with you. Doubt is normal. Doubt is normal. But here's here's the catch-22. Here's the conundrum of doubt. You can't be at peace in doubt. You can't live at peace in doubt. So think about it. Try getting on an airplane while doubting the pilot. You can't live at peace and doubt. So get on an airplane and doubt the the pilot's ability to safely fly and land the plane. You won't be at peace on that flight. You're only at peace when you trust, when you trust the pilot. And that's why Jesus has revealed himself as the risen Savior. He reveals himself to those who doubt. And Jesus wants to reveal himself to you because he wants you to live at peace. He wants you to live at peace. To trust in him. To believe in him that he is indeed risen from the dead. And miracle of miracles, we we find ourselves trusting in this itinerant Jewish preacher who was crucified and who was buried. And here we are believing and trusting that he is raised from death to life for us and for our salvation. Why do we believe? Because Jesus has revealed himself to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the word of God. And miracle of miracles, he gives us faith to believe and to trust and to have the assurance that he is our crucified and risen Savior who forgives us of all of our sins and who is coming again to bring a new heaven and a new earth. So here's the conundrum. Doubt is normal, but you cannot live with peace, with true peace, if you live in doubt. So do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? When you trust in Jesus, who died and was raised, you're confident that he will carry you, he'll carry you through the struggles of this broken world and into everlasting life. So we live with this tension. Doubt is normal. But yet at the same time, we cannot be at peace in doubt. So I have three things, three things, three practical things that we can do with our doubt. Do you doubt? First of all, I want you to know that you're normal. And if you never have any doubts at all, I really can't identify with you. But what do we do with our doubt? Doubt is normal. So the important thing is is that we, is that we, we do something with our doubt. That we don't just live in that doubt, but we do something with it. So number one, my, my first point is this. Verbalize your doubt. Verbalize your doubt. Do you have doubts about the Bible? 
Do you have doubts about the resurrection? Do you have doubts about God? The worst thing that you can do is to keep it to yourself. So so I plead with you that you would verbalize your doubt. Don't keep your doubt to yourself. The problem with many churches is, is that people feel like they can't bring their struggles, their struggles, whatever the struggle is in life, but the struggle especially with doubt, into the family of the church. So many people, when, when they look around and, and they, they see the, the family of God when they're in the congregation, in the gathering of believers, they think that they're sitting there in that pew and that they're the only ones who doubt. So we need to verbalize our doubt. We cannot keep our doubts to ourselves. So people feel like they can't come into church and be real unless they've got their stuff together. Unless they have everything figured out. And unless their faith is completely and totally firm. If people can't bring their doubts and struggles to church, we've essentially removed Jesus from the church. If you can't bring your doubt or your struggle here, that means, that, and you feel like you can't do that, that, that means that Jesus probably really isn't here then. Or at least we're, if he is here, we're not living out uh, the grace and the acceptance that Jesus has for people like Doubting Thomas. If Jesus is really here in our midst and if he's working in us and transforming us, this, this ought to be the safest place in the world to bring your doubt and your struggle. Because in the same way Jesus accepted all people, we're called to be those with open arms to accept those that come with doubts and struggles. So don't keep your doubt to yourself. Verbalize your doubt. And let's make sure, church, that we are a safe place for all people, for those with doubts, for those with struggles, for those that are seeking, and they're not really sure if what we claim about Jesus and the scriptures are really true. And then for us who, who believe, we need to be ready. We need to be ready for those who doubt. And I'm not saying that we need to be ready with the best answer or with uh, piles of theological education. But we need to be ready to love and to accept and to embrace those who doubt and those who struggle. So number one, verbalize your doubt. And here's the power in sharing your struggles. When you verbalize your doubt, when you doubt, you'll come to learn that there is another Thomas in this church. There's somebody else in this church who understands your struggle. They understand your doubt. They've been through what you've been through. And then they can share their testimony of how Christ has revealed himself. So you can share your doubt. And when you share your doubt, you realize other people here have had the same doubts. And, and when you share that doubt, then you can actually hear the testimony of other people who have struggled in their life. 
So the worst thing you can do is to keep your doubt to yourself. Let this be a safe place for doubters to share. And when you share, you can hear the testimony of those who have experienced peace, the peace of Christ, and belief, who have been turned by God to believe and to be strengthened in their faith. So verbalize your doubt. Don't keep your doubt to yourself. Number two, stay in fellowship. Stay in fellowship. But this goes right along with, with point number one. Don't forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Stay in fellowship because it's within the fellowship of believers that we are strengthened in our faith and that we find confidence in Jesus. There is power in the fellowship of believers. Many have given the example of a fire to illustrate the power of Christian fellowship. Did you know that many logs put together burn brightly and they give warmth to everybody in the house? But if you were to take one of those logs off of that fire and to set it on the cold hearth, what would eventually happen to that log that has been separated from the other logs? Eventually that log would, the flame would go out and, and uh, it would lose its heat and its, its light and its, and its warmth. And this is what happens when believers separate themselves from the fellowship uh, of, of believers. There's power in fellowship in the same way that many logs together burn brightly and give warmth and are powerful, so is the fellowship of believers. And I want you to notice that Thomas, he, he verbalized his doubt, didn't he? He says, I will not believe unless I see, unless I put my hands, uh, see his scars in his hands and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So he verbalized his doubt he stayed in fellowship even after he declared his unbelief. He remained in fellowship. He didn't leave the disciples. He stayed in fellowship. He heard the testimony. Even after hearing their testimony, he refused to believe, but he remained in the company of believers. And it was in the company of believers that Jesus showed up. It was in the fellowship of believers that Jesus came and revealed himself to Thomas. So number one, verbalize your doubt. Number two, stay in fellowship. And then number three, trust that Jesus is seeking the lost. And here's the real power. Here's the real power in the midst of our doubt is that Jesus is seeking the lost. Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. He is the one who comes to seek and to save the lost. And did you know that ultimately there's nothing that you or I can do to bring a person from unbelief to belief? We can't do it. And that's Jesus' job. Ultimately, it's Jesus who brings a person from unbelief to belief. Only Jesus can do that. And the work of Jesus in the hearts of unbelievers is resurrection itself. Did you know that? When a person is brought from unbelief to belief that they're experiencing resurrection themselves, and those uh, who do not believe that they're dead in their sins, and, and those who are brought by Jesus uh, to believe are brought to life in him. And did you know that none of us can raise the dead? And since none of us have the power to raise the dead, what why should we think that we have the, the ability to, to make a believer out of an unbeliever, to bring somebody from unbelief to believe? 
None of us can make the dead live again, and none of us can cause people to believe in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can do that. But Jesus has given us the task of sharing the good news of his death and resurrection. And it's through the good news itself, it's through the gospel itself, the message of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit gives people the eyes of faith to trust that he is indeed risen, that he is indeed alive and able to forgive. So I can't cause a person to be converted from unbelief to belief, from doubt to faith. Only Jesus does that, and he does it by the means of the gospel message. Miracle of miracles. Faith comes by hearing. Belief comes by hearing the message of the gospel. It's a work that Jesus does through his message in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is on a mission. His mission is what? To seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. And Jesus called doubting Thomas to believe. All Jesus had to do was show up. <laughs> and Thomas believed. Thomas believed. Is Jesus still showing up? Is he still revealing himself today? He is. Not in the same way that he revealed himself to Thomas, but in a powerful way. He shows up in the power of the Holy Spirit. No one can see the Holy Spirit. It's like the wind. But he moves through the message of the gospel, giving to you and to me the eyes of faith to believe. And he sets our hearts at peace. Jesus called the doubting disciples, Jesus called even Thomas. He said, believe in me, and then he gave them a, mi a mission. He says, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. So Thomas was called to join Jesus in Jesus' mission to proclaim the gospel. And Thomas is mentioned again in John chapter 21 as one of the seven disciples who were fishing with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee when the risen Lord appeared to them. And aside from uh, this, he, he appears in the New Testament only as a name on a list of the apostles. So Thomas, he appears with the disciples at the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 21, but then after that, he only appears on a list. So what happened to Thomas? What happened to doubting Thomas? Well, he's no longer doubting Thomas. He's believing Thomas. A couple of centuries later, a story was circulating in the Mediterranean world that Thomas had gone to preach in India. So he very possibly could have gone to India as a missionary. And there's a Christian community in India that claims descent from Christians converted by the preaching of Thomas. So doubting Thomas became believing Thomas. And then after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was Thomas who proclaimed the gospel, maybe in India. And the tradition among Christians in India is that Thomas was speared to death near Madras. 
and accordingly he is often pictured holding a spear. Paintings of martyrs often show them holding or accompanied by the instruments with which they were put to death. So Thomas was brought from doubt to belief. He said, I will not believe. He was brought to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He went and he proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His heart, his heart was at such peace. There was so much peace in Thomas's heart that he proclaimed the gospel even unto death. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the power of faith in Jesus. Thomas had so much confidence in Jesus and in Jesus' resurrection that he willingly died a martyr's death for the very message which he once doubted. My friends, that's the power of the gospel. When a person is brought by the Holy Spirit from unbelief to such a firm belief, they are willing to die. They are willing to die. And that, my friends, is true sight. That is true sight. That is genuine sight. You don't see him raised with your eyes, but yet you do see him. You see him with the eyes of faith. And that sets your hearts at peace today. Your sins are forgiven. He has bestowed upon you the gift of everlasting life. Heaven is your home. Let your hearts be at peace today. And go in peace, go in peace from this sanctuary and serve the Lord. Serve the Lord, proclaiming his death and his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins so that others too will believe, have the eyes of faith to truly see and to believe and to continue the message of the gospel. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who enters into our hearts, turns our doubt to belief, turns our unbelief to belief. You make the dead to live again. Lord, you have caused me. I was once dead in my trespasses and sins. But by your Holy Spirit, you've come to me. You've made me alive. You've given me eyes of faith to believe. And Lord, trusting in you, trusting in you alone, Lord, we together desire to bring this message to the whole world. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.